Good afternoon, sir. Yo, yo. This is episode 64 of the Beef and Bitcoin podcast with your host, Brett and CH. Today's topic, I figured we would uh, do like a 2019 year in review here. A lot happened throughout 2019. You know, we, we, we bottomed and popped out of the bear market and now we've been going down for the last couple of months since the summer. Uh, you know, people have gotten shaken out of their positions. We've seen new Bitcoin companies launch. We've seen the global macro space just completely go insane with um, Hong Kong, Iran, um, Venezuela. Just so much has happened, even with the censoring of uh, people buying gold. There's just been a ton that has happened, and I thought it would be a good time to kind of just recap and give our takes on what happened throughout all of 2019. But other than that, man, how was uh, how was your New Year? How was your Christmas? Oh, it's been good. Uh, it's good to see family and friends, and you know, just now it's over. It's back. You know, more focusing on what's going on. I feel like I took kind of a break, definitely from Twitter for sure, and just news in general, which was nice. But now I'm kind of back in that cycle again. Especially with the Iran news, it's like, okay, what's going on here? So it's right. kind of big, kind of a big deal. <laughs> oh, no, totally, totally. It was uh, not something I was expecting at the, at the very beginning of the year, but I mean, it seems like it's now like it kind of makes sense. Like, of course, something like this would happen in 2020. So, yeah, start of a new decade. And right. the memes are just, I'm sorry, but the memes for this whole thing are great. The, uh, the, I don't play Fortnite, but the the, the the let's drop or you know what's that game the term right now? Where are we dropping, boys? Type of thing memes yeah, over yeah. Iran or like the the Snapchat map with people all in Iran like getting drafted are just hilarious. Yeah, it yeah like the World War Three meme if, really if, blew up in the last couple days. Yeah, if, I mean like that's like the peak of times, man. People joking about World War Three. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean it's insane, but. At the same time, I, I would expect nothing less from the internet to uh, to meme exactly what's happening. Uh, to get started, I kind of wanted to start from you know what I think the the beginning of the year really brought, and that was the the stacking sats meme and earning Bitcoin. And I forget when that really started to take off, but I I, I want to say it was the beginning of 2019 when at least I remember seeing Matt O'Dell tweet about that and uh, it just kind of really took off and I was saying it a lot in my stories and making stacking sats memes and basically I don't know to sum it up for those who don't know what stacking sats is it's pretty much just your uh, you know your dollar cost averaging on a consistent basis and you know stacking sats for the future or whatever and it, it really took off and I think it also grew a lot from the earning Bitcoin companies and the Bitcoin back companies such as Lolly, Fold, and Pay. Uh, and I know we've talked about Lolly and Fold and Pay on you know previous podcasts in 2019, but I'm really looking forward to watching those Bitcoin back companies grow in, in 2020 and beyond. So in 2019, we saw them launch and I had a great time using Lolly for my online purchases to get Bitcoin back and using fold to buy gift cards at target amazon and other places where i'd typically shop anyway and start getting bitcoin back with that so i don't know what do you think do you think the uh the stacking sats meme really really took off in 2019 
Yes, no. I mean, I saw it on Twitter, definitely crypto Twitter. But then again, like I feel like crypto Twitter just continually is just dying throughout the year more and more and more. I mean, I feel like we continually see a lot of people just rage quit crypto Twitter in general, which is usually a good bottom sign. But getting back to the stacking stats, I remember being kind of popular at the start of the year. And in that sense, like people, but I have, haven't seen it as much lately, but maybe that's just because I've been on Twitter less. So. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think it's died down. And I even now that you're bringing it up, I noticed I stopped saying it as much closer to the end of the year. And honestly, you, you might be right. It could just be fatigue, like Bitcoin fatigue, right? Like everybody dealt with the bear market for pretty much what, like two years. I mean, it was a long time from end of 2017 and then all of 2018. And then in 2019, we finally started to show signs of life again. And uh, we, we did so many episodes about sentiment and emotions coming yeah. back. Like in the summer well, of, of 2019, I mean, it was, everybody was loving it. We were pumping to 12, 13, 14K. I mean, just making these absolutely unbelievable moves to the upside and everybody's emotions just kind of went wild. And then, you know, of course we dumped because we really skyrocketed in just a couple of weeks and and now it, people are fatigued again right nobody nobody cares again and i think that's kind of important to understand and i think enough. you nailed it when it talks about the sentiment and you know it, it's a good bottom indicator when i mean this there's is, only yeah no i was gonna keep going you're saying good bottom indicator but i was gonna say that this has been a grinding like lead here it's like oh, the second half of 2019 was just a mess it literally it's been a grinding bleed for bitcoin it doesn't mean doesn't go up and but like as you can look at this chart it's just kind of you go up dump more go up dump more so that definitely yeah. shakes people's hands yeah it's and it's it's totally just exhausting and uh i i even noticed that the engagement on the crypto humor page and the orange coin memes page is just it's dead i mean you know I went from in the summer getting a hundred plus likes every meme to now it's like four or five or uh, four or five comments and like you know yeah two three hundred likes. I mean people. I was like, that was a big drop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, uh, a rough drop. Hundred to four. <laughs> yeah, I mean you can just see the you can see the the engagement and the the sentiment just really die down. Yeah. And I think on one hand, it it. Uh, makes me remember a couple things. One, price absolutely drives adoption because you can see it in the emotions because when the price is pumping, the likes are coming, the con the comments are in there, people are liking Talking more tweets and stacking sats and then and then when it's not pumping, nobody it's just like everyone forgets about it. So I think that's where you can really start to like it 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 gives me um, confidence in the price drives adoption. So like number go up is the most important thing because that's what brings people into the space. And I think 2019 really showed me that for sure. Yeah, it's it's we've talked about it the whole year. It's with anything. It could be gold. It could be oil. It could be right, price drives right. adoption. Like, um, and I guess oil you can say a little less, but still it's the same thing. Um, you know, you could apply it to antique cars, antique, you name it. Um, and it's this craze, you know, obviously in 2017, when you look at this chart, it was ridiculous. I mean, no one, like I remember people making calls for 8k being the top and like, it definitely possibly felt like it and you couldn't, you didn't think things could get more ridiculous. And then it did, you know, we went from 
or that's the September. That's so we went from that three thousand bottom. I mean, this is all two candles, but still, I mean, it was a rocket ship for like three months. It was absolutely insane, just nonstop. Right, and, and it now just I drew in everyone. Yeah. It sucked in everyone. Yeah, I have, and I have a feeling we'll see that again. Uh, you know, when the next bull market comes around, and it'll be funny to see either you know the same people who disappeared from Twitter come back, or um, or and like all all the new people, right? You'll know as soon as the text messages or whatever start coming in, or your parents reach out to you and ask you how's what's going on with Bitcoin now and all this stuff, and Ty that's Lopez. when, <laughs> yeah, Ty, exactly. Like that's when you know it's it's starting to come back. Um, so one of the other things that happened in 2019 that I think is, uh, kind of important is the nodes in a box. And when I, when I say nodes in a box, I really mean, um, people and Bitcoin are starting to run their own full node, uh, and validate their own transactions and start playing around with the lightning network really grew. Um, I don't think it grew as much as everybody was expecting or wanted, but at the same time, there wasn't a lot of development around, you know, running your own node and, and doing all that stuff. So we saw Casa start, right. And, and they have that, like a raspberry Pi node in a box solution where you just plug it into your router. Uh, it allows you to do a multi-sig setup on your Bitcoin for increased security over a single, um, over like a single um, private private seed or a single key and uh, noddle started there. That's another, you know, node in a box that allows you to run your own node and run a lightning node and run Electrum and all that stuff. And then you saw all their desktop software like my node BTC, which uh, is, is actually really cool. You can run it on a, on a cheap laptop. You can run your own full node. You can uh, run a lightning node. You can run over tour and, and spin up like a BTC pay server, really cool stuff. And I think it didn't get a ton of adoption in 2019, but I think that's okay because you need those foundations to kind of be, to kind of be built out. And I was actually just listening to a, a Peter McCormick uh, podcast where he was saying like, you know, running a nodes just like too hard. I'm not going to do it. And, uh, you know, I, I, took that leap in 2019 and you know it's really not that bad but i think it's important that you know these businesses start um start growing and start trying to build and ship products so we can see if there's actually demand there like you need that free market to to kind of come out and we can the market will tell us whether or not people are actually going to run their own nodes so i think that's a that's a good thing to think about and if you know, if, if even take someone like yourself, like, do you think running a full node is a project you would take on in 2020 or in the future? I was just about to a ask you this. I was like, I was like, because you you know better than I do. Is there a major benefit to running a node? Like, because even if it's just a little bit of work, like, it's, just answer that to me. Like, what, is there a major benefit? Like, so, you know, yeah. So the major benefit of running your own full node is that you validate your own incoming transactions. So in other words, when we talk about like the common saying, you know, trusted third parties are security holes. Yeah. So if you have, if you're relying on Coinbase as your wallet or Gemini or an exchange, um, you could be locked out of your accounts and, and that could be the end of the day. And to take it a step further, let's say you're using a ledger or a treasure 
and you're not uh, running your own full node to validate those transactions. You're just going to, you know, Trezor.io. You plug in your hardware wallet, type in your PIN, and then boom, you see all your your transactions. But you're trusting Trezor or Ledger that all that information is accurate, and you actually have the keys to that to that Bitcoin. Whereas if you run your own full node, you are self-validating your own transactions. So you're, you're, you're getting rid of that trusted third party piece by running your own full node. Now, with that being said, some people would say, well, I don't care. That's not really much of a benefit. I'd rather outsource that to Trezor or Ledger or whoever. I'll let them do the validation for me. And, uh, it's a, it's a big debate with, with people who just don't see the benefits in running a full node. And I'm, I'm sympathetic to that because I think at this point in time, um, it still might be slightly too technical for some people. Although like in the grand scheme of things, it's really not that bad. I mean, when people wanted to get on the internet, you had to learn how to install your router, plug it in and get it all working or else you couldn't get online. And, and that's still the case today. So I think there need to be enough either like a killer application where like you have to run a full node in order to benefit from it or you need to in order to have a, a multi-sig solution like a three of five wallets to secure your bitcoin you have to run a full node okay well if number goes up to say 100k and you have one bitcoin and you're like holy shit like i have 100 grand worth of bitcoin i better secure it a little bit more seriously than just on one hardware device there's all of a sudden there's incentive to start running a node or if you want to do a certain application that doesn't exist today or maybe like a lightning app for gambling or something and the only way to be able to participate is to run your own node then people are going to do it so we're i think we're still in that in-between period where there isn't enough incentive or there you, you don't get that added utility of running your own node yet because um, there's not enough applications out there or the price isn't high enough to warrant running a full node. And, and that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, I was going to go with along lines of what you were talking about the internet earlier. Like obviously the internet in the early 90s, doing email, stuff like that was much more complicated than it is now. And you think about like early people like cyberpunks, et cetera, being on there like in 93, 94, before a lot of people went on. And you can apply probably the same thing in terms of Bitcoin. It, it's going to take a while. It doesn't happen overnight. And I think the ease of just being able to send it and use third party, especially if you're not in the same area all the time, makes it a lot easier, I think. And that's just, Definitely. I, if you're like, and that's just my thoughts. And if you're not doing a lot of transactions, is it worth the hassle for yourself? You know, most people, they probably don't see the, you know, the benefit. It's probably they don't see. And now this may change over time, as you were saying now, with like the, the modern internet router, you know, that might, if that became the case, if that was necessary, people realize maybe 10, 20, whatever you want years down the line, people are like, holy shit, I want a castle node, castle node fucking 50, whatever, you know. Right, right. You know, whatever it is then, if it's uh, important or people see the value in having it. Yeah, I just think there there needs to be that, either that killer app or, or that, that thing that you need in order to, to Bitcoin. Right. If to me, it's like, if I want to get on the internet at home, like I have to have my, my router and all that stuff set up or else I can't get on. I can only use the internet on my cell phone. And like, that's not that great. 
that's good for basic web browsing or whatever else, but maybe that's not enough for Netflix or whatever else. Like you have to have that solution. So I think if it were, if people were like, all right, I, I want to, I want to Bitcoin, whatever that means. And you have to run a node in order to do so. And it was, maybe it's embedded in routers in the future or, or something else where it's not as much of a hassle, then that's when I think it will start to go a little bit more mainstream or when people will start running their own node is if there's some sort of compromise um, with a hardware wallet or uh, using Coinbase or whatever, where people just realize they were getting fake Bitcoin the whole time. And they're like, shit, I really wish I would have validated my own transactions. And I, I was sent, you know, fake Bitcoin instead. Because the only way you know is if you validate for yourself. And that's the trust but verify, right? So you can trust Trezor or whoever else all you want. But you really want to verify that information yourself. So it just the 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 costs need to be um, either low enough or the the demand to self-validate needs to increase. And, you know, just as we said before, people don't think they need Bitcoin until their fucking PayPal exactly. accounts frozen and they're kicked off of all of social media like they don't exist anymore. Like then you need you need a bank that works outside of the financial system. And the only one that exists is Bitcoin. So yeah. that's when the demand starts to increase. So I, I still think we're in this middle ground where you have people like you and me who are like, all right, well, I'll play around with this technology and because I, I want to be able to help people onboard them as the demand well, increases. I think in, and I think you and I think longer term, we're like, okay, what's this going to be in 2030? Right, like, exactly. Like, you know, and you think about 2010, like social media, sure there was Facebook, but it's not the same with like, like going viral didn't start happening till maybe late 2011, 2012, really in 2013. That's when things, and by 2014, every, and now it's so easy for things just to go viral like overnight because it gets retweeted 2 million times. And then it's, you know, on every, you know, news channel and everyone sees it. TPT to oh. fidget spinners. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. That's, that's a good, that's a good way to put it. I mean, jewels, um, jewels and those fucking Sorens are a perfect example. Like jewels were nothing and then they fucking exploded like overnight. Right. And all that happened just so fast. And yeah, I, I think Bitcoin and the other things that um, work with Bitcoin will happen the same way. If like, you know, let's say, I think personally, like gambling and gaming will be end up in hindsight looking as like, oh, those are pretty obvious Bitcoin uh, things that Bitcoin enables. Let's say like, you know, betting gets really big and you have to run your own node in order to participate. Like that's when people will start to do it or to play a certain like a first person shooter game where you need to have, you know, your Bitcoin on there in order to bet with your friends and play like that will encourage people to do it. But it's not going to happen until then. And in the meantime, you need people to do it, to test it and figure out what the best user experience is or else it's not going to happen. So I think that's where like people like you and I come in. So we can kind of people can outsource that to us and we can learn about it, shoot the shit about it, talk about the pros and cons, and then people can decide for themselves if that's something that they want to do. Yeah, it's it's. Again, it's just it's a demand thing. At the end of the day, it's a really it's a it's broken down. If you want to just break it down to easiest, it's demand. And right. currently, right now, there's not much demand for Bitcoin, and the people who want to own Casa Nodals already own them, and the right. other people don't know about them because there's not you know it's not Bitcoin's not going crazy right now, and although it's still like we talk about it all the time, it's like Bitcoin's still like ridiculously um, small. 
well, small, and it's still, the price is still, like, like a couple of years ago, like two years ago, or whatever. In 2017, people would be going crazy because it was at 7,000. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, right. And It's at 7,000 and nobody cares. Nobody it's cares. up 100% for the year, or from 2019. No, literally, yeah, it's, yeah, it's up 100%. <laughs> I mean, it, literally, when the, you see them talk about it, it's like the best performing asset of 2019. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and it was the best performing asset of the decade, too, which is also... Like it's, I, I understand that it's still easy to dismiss that. Like that's just a, that's just a fact. Like Bitcoin was the best performing asset of the decade and the year. Okay. That's great. But it's funny that that could be factually true, but at the same time, no one also cares. So yeah. I find, I find that very interesting, but it also tells me there's a lot of asymmetric information in just in the economy. So you and I might be able to recognize that and say, okay, well, maybe I want to allocate capital to Bitcoin because it's a misunderstood asset. And in 2025, after the having after next, people will be saying like, well, it was the best performing asset from 2010 to 2020 and nobody said anything. And I wish I would have known then. Why didn't anybody tell me? Well, people did, but you didn't care at the time. Yeah. I was just checking to see how close Litecoin was in terms of the performing asset of the year, but it's not. I mean, it, in the first half, yeah, it did a ridiculous run, but I was just curious right. to see where it went. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so one of the other things that happened in 2019 that I that I wasn't expecting was uh, the repo markets. And we started talking about that, I guess, whenever so that kind complex. of started. Maybe like, it's like... It's like basically time no one can I understand mean, it. Yeah. And it's it's funny because, uh, you know, a lot of really good articles were written about the repo markets, whether it be from Caitlin Long or uh, Trace Mayer talking about it or, you know, even, even Zero Hedge. And it's funny because it wasn't mentioned very much on uh, mainstream uh, outlets, but, it, you know, everybody kind of glazed right over the repo markets and the fact that the you know the the markets essentially looked like they were going to freeze up unless liquidity was injected into the repo markets um so between uh so let's say today's january 5th between and from the next 10 days starting from december 15th around there uh, the the Federal Reserve will have pumped half a trillion dollars into the into the repo markets, which is absolutely insane. And that I, I want to say that's close to um, all of the quantitative easing that was done just in the you know the 2008 financial crisis. So we've already blown through the same amount of easing that happened in 2008 to try to steer us out of a, out of a recession and now we've blown past that number and it's like nobody cares there was no there was no uh, voting on whether or not that was a good idea it just kind of happened in the background and didn't get all that much attention and i think we were talking about this at the end of 2018 how it seemed like the world was ending because the markets were <laughs> were dumping and then every and then you know the, the market went, went and, right the fled flipped they started cutting rates again and, and a lot and, of other central banks too like, there was it was basically everyone flip-flopped and was like okay right you know we saw negative interest rates we just saw a lot of a lot of crazy shit and i think now in hindsight we're we're going to be able to point and look at the the repo markets and negative interest rates as um 
you know, the tools that central banks around the globe are using to try to steer the global economy out of a recession, uh, or at least try to try to prevent one. Um, and that was just such a big thing that happened in 2019. Uh, what do you think about that? So I was going to go off what you said earlier about the financial crisis. Um, you said the repo was roughly what half a tr- half a trillion, so five hundred mm-hmm. billion. So in two thousand eight, because it was almost two thousand nine, I don't know, it, like October or whatever, late September when they passed TARP, which was Troubled Asset Relief Program, was seven hundred billion roughly. So if you include the, we went from th- the Fed balance sheet has went from three point seven five nine trillion to four point one seven three trillion. We've basically done what happened in the financial crisis over the past four months, if even. Right. It's not, not a lot of four time. months. Yeah. yeah. It's basically three and a half months at most. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's, an, it's insane. And, um, yeah. nobody even like, that's not mentioned at all when the, and all we're, all we're seeing is, you know, this is one of the other topics is the global markets are just making new all time highs. And it's certainly not a function of, performance whether from like company performance or earnings performance you've had stock buybacks that have exploded you know you can borrow cheap money buy back your own stock and make your earnings per share look better or improved when in reality sales are stagnant or decreasing um the economy isn't really growing as much as it looks like it is and it it just it it makes everything look so weird and toppy and when you wrap that bitcoin macro you know landscape around it it's just really interesting to look at where bitcoin kind of fits in this weird global macro quantitative easing or not qe space that just keeps happening yeah i'm trying i was trying to find there's there's a good chart for it but um here's a buyback spending one if you're watching on youtube and it basically buyback spending the figure projection for 2019 was was it was it one trillion or was just shy of one trillion, um, mm. but it was it was the highest ever, um, by far, and the big thing was in the past decade basically since the financial crisis, the only net demand for stocks like shares has been from, you guessed it, share buybacks that have only been le- legal since 1982, and they were illegal. And the mid 30s, I want to say 34, somewhere, somewhere around there with a bunch, some, either with an SEC act or something like that. It might have been 38. Um, but long story short, they were illegal for a reason because they re- realized in the third, in the you know, in the 30s after the crash of 1929 with the Great Depression, they're like, holy shit, you know, how much chicanery I'll say was going on then, you know, with companies buying back their own shares, probably back then placing their, you know, placing bids, then making them disappear, etc placing ass, making them disappear, just stuff like that. Just very, but basically buying back your own shares, the easiest way to put it is it supports one, you always have demand for your shares. So people can dump and your people are buying and you don't really care about the price. And um, it's kind of a big deal because like it's like pensions, you know, endowments, institutions, retail investors, you name it. Uh, they have not, there's been no net demand over the last decade. It's been net selling. Right. And, and even a lot of the demand that is there is, um, from, you know, Vanguard 401ks and all passive investing. Yeah. So passive investing bubble, perfect example. No, no retail person 
uh, is like sitting and buying stocks. Like I asked a coworker the other day, I was like, tell me the truth. Like when was the last time you bought a stock? And he oh. just looked at me. He's like, yeah, I mean, I guess I haven't. He's like, I bought a little bit of Bitcoin. I'm like, that's kind of my point. Like no stocks are, stocks are pumping, but nobody in reality is buying. It's, it's just, it's Right. It's just algos and it's, it's, you know, your passive Vanguard funds going in every two weeks, it's buying for you. Uh, so it, it's almost like there's a weird misallocation of capital and it, it will be in, in hindsight, right? Like, I mean, we, I was wrong to talk about this like, uh, a year ago or whatever, like at the end of 2018 thinking, all right, like finally, like the crash is coming and then it, it, it didn't happen. Uh, you know, in hindsight, it'll be like, wow, I wonder if there was just way too much passive investing going on because it, it wasn't, nobody was really taking a step back to think about what they were investing in. So, you know, we'll only know that in hindsight and we'll find out hopefully, uh, in 2020, but it's the whole thing just seems like a mess. Here's your end of the world. That was last year. I mean, like this is like you know, right to the last day before we bounce. Um, yeah, I mean, 24th. the end of the end of twenty eighteen was really scary. I there's remember like, that. There's like, oh, overboard. Yep. And then you know, <laughs> the you know QE back to the rescue. Yeah. And Rip. I mean, it's just it's just really really crazy to see. And then, all bears you know, need now to you die. Have... And then yeah, the last the, the retail money gets sucked in, and then. Right. We can we can have the the final last hurrah, which I don't know if it's now, but it's I feel I don't, know, I don't even want to I feel like if we do a predictions episode, I don't even want to fucking talk about it. Cause it's gonna be so bad. No matter what <laughs> yeah. I predict, it won't matter. Um, I'll be wrong, if, especially if it's a year long prediction. I'll try, but it's not gonna be because it's it's hard like a year time frame. You could say this is gonna get to somewhere, and it might get there in five months, and then bounce and go up, you know, halfway back up. So. Right. Right. It's yeah. You just never really know. Yeah. Uh, I think I think another thing to talk about for the 2019 year in review that was really big was and we kind of talked about it closer to the end of the year were the central bank digital currencies. And, you know, you and I have kind of speculated that, you know, if the if the financial legacy financial system is starting to flail like it's on its last legs. If you are central banks around the world, what's what's your play? What what moves do you have left outside of negative interest rates? And well, in my opinion, that's issue a digital currency. So that way you can just uh, you can kind of ban cash, you can inflate the supply at will, and you can go from there. And I think not that any country's actually launched successfully a, a you know a central bank digital currency, but they started talking about it and mentioning it, and I think it will try to be normalized as we move forward in the future. For sure, and I think it, it's easy to normalize it in a world like today because people already use like Cash App, Venmo, etc. in the U.S. and those things, you know. And I don't know, I don't use Apple Pay or anything like that, but I'm sure people use Apple Pay. I wouldn't be surprised if people use Snapchat, you know. There's dudes out there who pay for premium Snapchat. I'm not going to go into that, but there's I know there's a way to pay on Snapchat. So, so yeah, I mean, um, and when you when you step back and think about it from like the U.S. standpoint, we are we're behind. Uh, I feel like. We're behind from 
like the Apple Pays and like WeChat and how everything's integrated in China and and other, uh, I guess, more of the Asian countries. And I used to like get upset about that. But now I'm like, all right, like I used cash today to buy stuff at the farmer's market. And I was like, I really want to start using more cash just to like fight back and remove your digital footprint. No, it's it's definitely it's just it's and it's not like to do anything, um, quote unquote, illegal. It's more just um, it's like the small business economy and the the cash is important and the cash is important because if you actually hold it, when we, when we think about comparing it with a, like a, a digital money or like when all money is just digital, uh, I guess like you can't debase that or you can't, you, you aren't subject to negative interest rates, like holding all your money in the bank and being charged 1%, 2% or whatever the negative interest rate gets to, to just hold your money. So, you know, we saw that where people in the European union were putting like physical cash in safety deposit boxes because they didn't want the negative interest rates to hit them as much. So like you see people adjust to, you know, changes in regulation and manipulation of the interest rates. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a huge factor. Like, I think we talked about it in a few episodes ago, but it's like the overnight rate in the U S the fed funds rate went from like 25 basis points at the, sometime in like the middle of 2015, roughly to 250 basis points, uh, or January, 2018. It sounds right. Something like that. Mm-hmm. And so you don't think about it being much, but that means the cost of lending money just 10 X. So what was a hundred thousand dollars? I'm just using an easy number to 10 X is now a million dollars overnight, you know? And you think about that and you can scale that up because the, the amount of money they're loaning is quite high. So, Right. That that probably is low in the low end, but I could be wrong. Well, but, yeah, your interest charges increase substantially. Oh, yeah. And that's and that's and it, you know, it we've, we've always like talked about like this. Yeah, that like the contracting the money supply and expanding the money supply when you look at it from an Austrian economics um, perspective, that's the cause of the boom and bust cycle. And, you know, I subscribe to that and I think that's very accurate. We've seen it time and time again throughout history where the money supply is expanded and then it's contracted. There's a boom and bust and then, you know, history kind of and then the cycle continues and you have these these like long term credit cycles where you just create too much credit to a lot of misallocation and of capital and malinvestment. All those businesses that aren't profitable run out of money because um, the cost of money increases as they raise interest rates and then they realize, oh, shit. We can't sustain this anymore, and then interest rates are cut, and you know you have the you have the the bust. So, I think that's kind of, you know, if you think about like a uh, Raul Pal and that global macro perspective, everyone's kind of expecting this now. And when I say everyone, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny majority of people um, who are actually you know kind of screaming from the hilltops like be careful, be careful. Like credit cycle looks like it's coming to an end here, and then you have you know, CNBC or whoever else, um, releasing articles like a recession is literally impossible because we have the tools to never let a recession happen again. And that's just like peak legacy financial system in my opinion. We'll never have a recession again. It's like, and like, we're going to look back on this in like three or four years and like, we're going to laugh. It might not even be that long time. Um, I think there's a lot of complacency right now. And I've only briefly watched CNBC a few times. But you see some of the headlines, and obviously the markets have just fucking steamed away for the last three months. I mean, it's we've really ran from that October eighth low. I mean, it's just or October whatever low, 
like fourth or whatever. We've just ran. I think it's almost like 15%. 12% in the dial. I mean, that's it's a pretty hefty amount for three months. Right. Right. Um, we'll see where that, you know, and we could go higher. Like I'm not even going to fucking argue against it because. <laughs> right. I mean, you have to think there's still a lot of fuel left in the tank from a U.S. perspective. Like we aren't even at negative interest rates yet. Yeah, we have, so how much longer can the show go on? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't not, know the I'm answer not gonna, to that question. Yeah, yeah I don't even like, want to make a prediction because, like, when I look at this chart, I'm like, well, fuck. Like, it's just vertical. Like, yeah. like when we think about this is like perfect. We can we can just compare this to Bitcoin because that's a good example. Like, it's the same thing. Like in 2017, how much higher can it go? Right. And that's the same thing to the Dow Jones here. How much higher can it fucking go before it just caves? Like. It's, I mean, it could, it's not going to go up forever. It's going to have to go back to some kind of mean. Right. And that's going to be painful. And the whole of the U.S. economy relies on it. Yeah. That's, We're so that's, financialized. That's everyone relies part. on it. Yeah. It's literally like everyone will be affected because a majority of people in the workforce have some kind of 401k, some kind of pension. Everyone is in the same ship together. So if it sinks, you're kind of fucked. Right. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely scary. Uh, I guess the last thing I had on the on the list for 2019 was uh, stock to flow went mainstream, and you know the analysis that Plan B did with um, you know stock to flow as a as a valuation mechanism for uh, commodities, right? So, you know, plan B did, uh, his analysis and uh, ran a linear regression on stock to flow and the prices of various commodities and showed that it had like a ridiculous 95% R squared, or in other words, the, the fit was damn near perfect. Um, and like when I saw Joe Kernan on CNBC mentioning stock to flow with Bitcoin as like something to help you evaluate, you know, Bitcoin and gold, it was like, just, it was absolutely insane to see a mainstream commentator talk about stock to flow. And I was not expecting that to happen in 2019. I, I wouldn't expect to be talking about that with, you know, an average person or at least even hear about it on television. I thought it was absolutely insane. Um, things are changing, man. Joe does his homework. Uh, it's, it's interesting time because I think you know, in the last few years, the word fiat has been tossed around a lot more. A lot Bingo. more normies, including myself, because I was a normie, and I don't think I am really anymore. But uh, a lot, you know, a lot of people, oh, fiat. But and I think so. It, will people wake up to this? Are we going to go through some kind of weird revolution just across population in general? Like you think? I was I, just because of reading random stuff and running across history, like you know, the idea of the printing press and just kind of opening people's minds to. You know, because before that, it was people like getting read the Bible from only a very select few in the clergy and whatever. So people were kind of, you know, screwed with by other people basically at that time in the 1500s and the 1400s and prior. And you think about, and then now the internet obviously is the big one because the internet has just, the, the freedom of information just to spread like wildfire everywhere. You know, in minutes, obviously in seconds, but like, you know, things become big overnight, you know, it doesn't take long and something can gain a lot of momentum really quickly. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think you really nailed it. Uh, the internet is, 
such an important tool for humanity. And I think um, uh, a, a free market money is uh, either more important or a very, very close second to for the ability for people to uh, communicate information with one another. And money is just right up there. And, you know, I wanted to talk about this on the next episode, just, um, you know, the possibilities of having a free market money. And just like we had with a gold standard for many, 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 many years, uh, that's that's where we're heading towards because of uh, the lack of trust everyone has now in in the legacy financial system. So you kind of they, they did this to themselves almost or else you wouldn't need something like Bitcoin or or even something like gold if if they were just more prudent with uh, with the money. Yeah, I agree. It's um, but it's hard because you know when you want to build an empire, it's easier just to you know make your money easy. And the same right. thing happened with the Germans in World War II. Like they didn't anticipate going to war. Hitler and Mussolini did not want to go to war until 1943, and they went to war in 1939. Part of it was you know resources and you know also they're you know they couldn't go on for much longer without capturing more territory and. I always find it funny, and I'm sure I've sent you the chart of the uh, German DAX during World War II, like preceding it, and the chart's just ridiculous. And then eventually, like the stock market gets paused in like July or August of 1944 when the war was really going south. Um, and then just fucking like one day they finally open it up and it just drops down like 90 percent. Yeah, that's absolutely insane. And think about that. Like, people in Germany lost everything. In, in in Europe in general, there's people just lost everything. Like, and that's a perfect case. Like, oh, your your stock is illiquid. You can't do anything for like a year because the market is closed because there's a war going on. Like, we, we have it pretty good nowadays. One would say over times like that. And I, um, but it's just interesting to see you know what free money allows. And I've mentioned it in numerous episodes before when you look at the 20th century, which is 1900 to 1999, looking at the amount of war and just how easy it is when you when money is free and you can just lend. Right. It's, right. Exactly. It, I mean, you can't even compare it. And I'm not saying that we haven't had war throughout history of all time because humans have fought for a long time, but you look at the scale of it, and free money is definitely a big player in this. There's no way around it. Right. It allows you to continue to misallocate capital for longer periods of time than you otherwise would. And I actually saw a little debate about this on whether or not, um, you know, Bitcoin fixes war. In other words, does a sound money make war less profitable? And in, in my opinion, it does. Maybe it's not the ultimate solution to war, but I think when, um, the the powers that be, for lack of a better term, uh, are not uh, or don't have the capability to expand the money supply in order to fund um, wars. It it and and those things become less popular. It just becomes more difficult to do that. Or if you can do it, it happens for a much shorter period of time. Um, and that's where I, uh, I'm very optimistic on returning to a sound money standard because I just think people are kind of pissed and you can see the kind of unrest globally, like everyone's kind of had enough of this and you can't fund this kind of stuff unless you control the money. And if you don't control the money, you can't fund it for that long. So that's where I get a lot more hopeful that, um, you know, that kind of 
just terrible, terrible things will start to subside in the in the longer term. And and I feel like we're kind of in the death throes of that where we where we won't see that happen as much uh, on a go forward basis, assuming that, uh, you know, the planet can start to move again towards a sound money standard. The planet, the human species. <laughs> yeah, like it's and... like it. It's funny because everybody's on the same team, whether they know it or not. You yeah, know what I mean? No, like, it is, it, it is like, the sad like as reality. A, as, as a species, we're on the same exact team. And I understand we're on the same team, man. People, like people can hate each other and all this stuff, but people only really hate each other because of resources. Um, a lot like of people, yeah, people have co-opted the money and to do shit that's not great for their own personal gain. Yeah. And like – it causes a lot of hatred. And I think if you, if you remove that and you have a technical solution or a technology that, um, doesn't allow money to be co-opted, um, it's just, it's, it'll be more profitable to have peace and prosperity than to just go to war all the time. And, and that's the whole point. If you can make it more profitable to be peaceful, which I think that's what, you know, kind of Bitcoin does. Um, you know, you just think about, praxeology and that's the logical move forward like it's going to be more profitable to be peaceful and that's the ultimate goal if it's more profitable to go to war you're going to do that if it's more profitable to be peaceful you're going to do that because everybody wants to make more money right greed is good in this example yeah so i I feel like you know not that war isn't the same as in the past with the resources it's just it's not as obvious as it used to be because it's just corporations doing it and it's not obvious and it's not something talked about but um, in the past, it was like, oh, we're going to go conquer this region because they have this, you know, whether it's timber, whether it's gold, whether it's et cetera, it doesn't matter, you know, and obviously it's changed now as we go into the future. Oil has become important, obviously, in the 20th century, very important. You see militaries capturing oil fields in World War II. Um, but, you know, going forward, it's just the free money aspect. It just allows things to get way too drastic. And the perfect example is the US during Vietnam. We were on a, you know, $35 uh, troy ounce gold standard through Vietnam until 1971, you know, and Vietnam obviously was a huge cause to that. Um, The fact that, you know, in Vietnam, we're spending God knows how much over there. It's just a, it's a money pit is what it is. I I hate to say it, but that's what it was, um, you know, in terms of, the resources going in there. I mean, the U.S. at peak time had over five hundred thousand, you know, um, soldiers over there. That's that's incredible. And there's a lot of other that's assets. You, yeah, and you just forget there's so much logistics to that. Think about how many MREs that is, ammunition, and then it's you expensive. Yeah. Oh, it's so expensive. War is so expensive, and it's why like we spent trillions in the Middle East since the beginning of two thousand one. It's absolutely insane mm-hmm. how much money. Like, I I don't know how much it is to keep an air, aircraft carrier going. <laughs> but it's a lot like a carrier fleet is just a shit ton of money you know um it's 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 absurd and people don't realize how expensive it is and then you think oh the u.s has 800 military bases outside the u.s uh what right it's like <laughs> sounds expensive to me yeah that's not that's not like and you think about it when you're in other countries you're definitely we're paying for that land almost always unless it's unless there's some kind of weird you know you know, quid pro quo or something like, Hey, you're protecting Mm -hmm. us. You can have this base for free type of thing. But other than that, like we're, Oh, we want a base over here. We're paying for it. Right. Um, so 
I, I think people really need to rethink because we are at $23 trillion in debt and it's not stopping. And the unfunded liability is like over $200 trillion, which isn't even a number. I don't even know we talk about that. We're, we're a fifth of the way to one quadrillion in unfunded liabilities. Like, like is $1,000 going to mean nothing when we're older? I really hope we don't get to that point. I don't think we'll be able to get to that point because it's either gonna we're either gonna hyperinflate or we're gonna stop here. Right. I mean, right. I, I don't know. I, I can't see another decade of this shit. I really can't. <laughs> no, n- neither can I. And I think I think the fact that we can't see it continuing is the reason that we have the podcast. Yeah. Um. Because so it, can bitch about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun to bitch about. It's fun to speculate on. <laughs> and also, it's like. You know it can't go on forever. And no, it it's, doesn't. It, it, it's starting to feel like um, it, it it's coming to an end here, um, and and that's the whole point to kind of get the word out and have other people. I, you know, I don't want to convince anybody, but for the people who do listen to the podcast, if they do take a step back and really think about it, I think um, they can kind of come to their own conclusions and see that yeah, you're right. Like this doesn't really make sense. Like. Why did we get off the gold standard? When what does being able to control the money supply do, and who benefits, and and why do they want to benefit from it? Uh, and it just leads to more questions and the things that we weren't taught in school very much on purpose, in my opinion. And uh, that's kind of it. Um. By the way, did uh doesn't the repo thing end like in ten days? Is it the fifteenth? <laughs> it does end on, on the fifteenth. Yeah. Yep. So I think that's something that. Uh, we should keep keep our eye on for sure. Yeah. We think that's a good way to wrap up the 2019 year in review. Oh yeah. I think it's pretty good to wrap it up there. Um, I'm very scared about this predictions episode, to be honest, (laughs) because I know it (laughs) doesn't matter. It It doesn't matter. It'll be, it'll be fun either way. The thing crazy. And I don't mean to talk predictions now, but it's like, again, like things could change so drastically so quickly that, you know, and then again, we could keep going. I, I, right. like there's no limit to this so I'll leave us there but if you enjoyed listening to what episode 63 64 64 my apologies 60.5 I highly recommend if you want to hear a shit talk about Bitcoin going up a lot <laughs> in one day um, but yeah other than that this was episode 64 I hope you enjoyed please give us a rating on um, Apple podcast it helps us infinitely I saw we have like I think 15 ratings now. It's either 15 or 12. But thank you very much to those who did it. Reviews help too, obviously. Um, share it if you think this is useful content or you just think we're a bunch of retards. I don't care. Um, and then lastly, if you're on YouTube, please like and subscribe. It helps. And if you have any questions, DM us because we'd love to answer them. If you, hey, you want us to talk about something random, sure, we'll give a shot at it. But uh, preferably, you know, crypto or market questions but anything really we'll shoot the shit about it um thank you very much for listening peace peace